I really, really enjoy what I do. So anything I do, I do with energy. Anything I do, I do it with passion. And that's how I live every area of my life. Anything I do, I do it to achieve excellence. Anything I do, I'm going to kick ass doing it. I'm taking on something. I want to be a top performer. Brian Hurlman has become one of the most consistently excellent performers in the Cutco Vector Marketing Organization. From humble beginnings and through several peaks and valleys, Brian has risen to the pinnacle of his life and his career as a leader. His greatest strength is the passion and energy that he brings to everything he does. In this conversation, you'll gain an insight into the mind and heart of this dynamic young leader and you'll learn how you can find more passion and energy for all the things that you do. Strap on your seatbelt. Here he comes, Brian Hurlman. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am super pumped up about today's interview. This has been a highly anticipated episode of the podcast because we have the great Brian Hurlman here with us today. Uh, Brian is a veteran of the Cutco Vector business since back in 2007. Started with the company in Larry Manley's office in Raleigh, North Carolina, shortly after graduating from high school. And uh, Brian went on a fairly fast track to becoming a district manager in the company. About two years after starting with the company, he became a district manager uh, in Charlotte. The year was 2009. Uh, Brian went through some ups and downs over his first few years as a manager, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot today. Really broke through in 2014 to become one of the top elite district managers in all of Vector Marketing. And he has now won eight silver cups eight national championships been the number one office in new business been the number one office in his competitive category overall been the number one dm in the company and he's winning another silver cup for 2019 for the number one office in new business sales for the year which is arguably the most challenging and difficult silver cup to win in the beginning of 2018 brian took over the virginia division uh, as the division manager so he relocated from Charlotte up to Virginia, had to recreate his success up there. And already in his second year up there, his division is going to finish in the top 10 in the company. Of course, Brian is a member of the Cutco Vector Hall of Fame. I'm fired up for today's interview. Brian Hurlman, welcome. <laughs> What's up, dude? I'm fired up too, man. All right. Let's do this, man. 
I want to hear a little bit about your background before Cutco, because uh, I know there's some good stuff in your story that people can hear. So why don't we tee yeah. off with that? Yeah, well, I was born and raised in uh, rural North Carolina. Um, when people ask me where I'm from, I, I tell them I'm from Chapel Hill because they'll have no idea where, where Pittsburgh, North Carolina is. So I was born and raised in a town of about uh, 3,000 people. You know, So a lot of the kids that I recruit and train attended high schools that had more people that attend the high school that lived in my town. So wow. small town USA, my mom is a school teacher. She taught mentally and physically handicapped children PE for 30 years. And my dad was unemployed for the large majority of my life, at least my, my formidable years as a, you know, in middle school and high school. So we were a lower income family. You know, I, I was born and raised in a double wide trailer. I'm not giving you a sob story. Obviously, I did not miss any meals, but we had wealth in a lot of other areas in life. But uh, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. And around my sophomore year of high school, my parents were very clear with me uh, that if I wanted to go to college, I could do that. And I should do that if I have the desire to. But they would not be able to help me with that at all financially. Before mm -hmm. I started selling Cutco, I had scooped Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I had been a bellman at a hotel that's where i kind of started to learn that you know i could use my my personality and my charisma and things like that to to earn earn money you know connecting with people and guests at the hotel but i need to find somewhere i can make a lot more money and that's how i ended up finding cutco my friend found a business card on her car at the mall in the middle of the summer it said you know summer work it was 15 dollar base pay back then and so I remember calling and I went in for an interview. This was the summer before I was about to start my freshman year of college. I couldn't find a job for the first half of that summer. So I was super broke and uh, heard about the Cutco job, went in for the interview, came out, was super, super excited. I was pumped. And uh, my dad, you know, I'm driving home and, you know, it's a, it used to be, you, you remember the interview back in the day, it used to be like a four hour process. It was a gauntlet. And uh, <laughs> my dad waited on me the whole time. Right. So I walk out he's like, I go, uh, he, he tell, he can tell I'm all fired up. He goes, he goes, how'd it go? I go, I got the job, pop. He goes, what are you going to be doing? I said, well, you know, and I, I, we, I knew it sounded weird. So I tried to skirt the question, dude. I was like, you know, pop, I'll, uh, you know, I'll tell you and mom together when we get home, you know, <laughs> he's like, he's like, what? Well, just tell me right now. I'm like, no, I'll tell you later. You know? he's like puts his foot hard on the brake he's like son you're gonna tell me right now and uh i was like well you know dad i'm gonna be i'm gonna be working with customers and explaining products to them and he just starts shaking his head like this and he goes son what are you gonna be selling and I, i'm like well i'm not really selling any thought thing pop it's more like show and tell you know i show them it i tell them about it they buy it he goes brian what are you selling i said without even thinking about it i'm like dad i'm, I'm selling knives my dad goes, you're an idiot. You're not going to make any money doing that. You need to get a real job. And uh, basically gave me shit the whole hour-long drive we had back home. So, you know, with that hour-long drive, I figured out a better way to kind of describe it to my mom when I got home. Mm -hmm. She's like, what are you going to be doing? I'm like, uh, you know, I'm going to be a, a representative for uh, a $180 million international marketing firm, mom. And she's, she's like, oh, really? You know, what are you? What are you marketing? I'm like, well, mom, it's a line of really high end housewares and utensils for the kitchen and some great gift ideas. She's like, 
I would love to see that. I'm like, oh, don't worry. You're going to be the very first person I show him to. <laughs> My dad yells in the other room. He goes, Pat, don't let him lie to you. He told me he's selling knives. And uh, my mom gets this really concerned look on her face. She's like, Brian, selling knives, you don't, you don't cook. I'm like, listen, mom, I'm not going to cook to these people. Uh, I'm going to show them the knives and they're going to love, I'm telling you, when you see the knives, you're going to buy a whole set. My mom cooked all the time. She's like, well, I can promise you this. I'm not going to buy anything. I already have pampered chef. I'm like, mom, wait till you <laughs> see these knives, I'm telling you. So my parents are both really skeptical. My dad was very negative. My mom was very skeptical, but you know, they came around pretty quickly. I did pretty well with the job. Like I said, I need to make a lot of money in a short period of time. I only had like six weeks to work before my freshman year of school started. Yeah. And college is a lot of fun, but it's a lot more fun when you have your own money to spend. And yeah, so sure. I worked my ass off. I came out of the gates just strong and um, I worked really hard. I sold about $9,000 in Cutco during my first 10 days, which is nothing spectacular, you know, but it was enough for me to earn 1800 bucks. And I remember my mom seeing my first paycheck. It was like my first full week was like $1,300 and she was a Lord. Wow. Um, I think, I think it was probably in that moment that she decided she was probably going to eventually nudge both of my younger siblings to sell Cutco. And they both did. My sister sold Cutco over a winter break to get some experience for her resume before she started applying to some nursing programs. And my brother sold Cutco for four years in college and ended up making the job a career. He's a district manager. Now he's a, you know, uh, had his first million dollar year last year. So. Yeah, a great one at that. Exactly. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I, I love what you said about, uh, you know, sharing your humble beginnings, but that you, you had wealth in other areas, uh, which is a great perspective. And yeah. I, I think it's cool to hear how somebody who, you know, had such humble beginnings and was in a, in a small town way far away from the metro area, you know, went out and had a big start to the, with the company, you know, $9,000 fast start is, uh, tops virtually everybody else that ever, ever, you know, ever starts with us, even though you said it's, you know, nothing spectacular. It is, it's a lot better than I did. I sold 2,640, uh, in my first days. What were some of the moments that you feel like, uh, transformed your, your career or your life as you went along, uh, in vector? Well, the first was that fast start, man. I mean, I had no idea it was possible to make that much money in that amount of time as a young person. And it Dan, what it did is it really changed how I saw myself in my future. You know, I mean, I'm from a small town. No, I mean, it's a blue collar town. It's an old mill town. I mean, people are, they're, I mean, they're blue collar folks. They're carpenters, they're teachers, they, they're farmers, they're construction workers, you know? And I mean, I had no idea it was possible to make that much money. I mean, I, I made 10 grand in six weeks. And that was life changing for just the way I saw my earning potential mm -hmm. and for the rest of my life. Another big defining moment was after my second summer with Cutco. My first summer with Cutco, I sold Cutco. I went through our company's leadership academy program um, around my classes and uh, played a part time role in an office um, around my classes during the fall and the spring semesters of school and came back my second summer in a full time management role. I worked really hard. I'd never worked that hard for that amount of time. And I loved what I was doing. I didn't know it was possible to work that much and fully enjoy what you were doing. And I'd always worked hard, but most of it was shit that sucked. I mean, it was landscaping. It was carrying people's bags up flights of stairs. It was waiting tables. I mean, that's, you can earn some, some decent money doing that stuff as a younger person, but man, it's, it's, it was, it was hard work. And I realized, man, I can, I can do this with 
without physical manual labor. I can make a lot of money without physical manual labor. My second summer, I uh, was in a management role, loved what I was doing, worked really hard, and was about to head back to school in August. And there was no office running at that time in Charlotte. So I was going to be going to school and for eight months, not have an office to work in, train in, Mm -hmm. and develop my skills. So my manager, Larry Manley, approached me. I know you've had the legend on in the past. His episode was great. You know, he approached me and he was like, dude, have you considered, you know, staying here in and transferring schools and staying here in Raleigh so that you can train and work with me for the next eight months and prepare to branch? And I was like, man, I, I haven't that never that thought never even crossed my mind. And the reason it happened is because I had a I had a great friend group at school. We had uh, of plans to, uh, we had a sweet house that we had already put a deposit down for for the next year. It had a pool. I mean, it was going to be awesome. It was going to be an awesome year. I hadn't even thought about not going back to Shark. And one of those defining moments that you talk about, those things that you look back on as a transformational, foundational, defining moment, I made a decision that my circle of influence there wasn't congruent with my growth. And I made a decision that I was going to stay in Raleigh to train. And that led to another transformational decision because I made this decision too late to transfer into the four-year university that's in, uh, it's in Raleigh. It's NC State University. Right. And so I was going to transfer to state, but I was too late. So I had to transfer into a community college. And I was going to do a semester or two there and then eventually transfer into state. And, you know, Dan, listen. Even as even in high school, school was not my thing. I made good grades, but I hated sitting in a classroom. I hated school. And different, I different, remember, different people learn in different ways, man. Yep, that's yep. just a reality. I, it's funny. I was really ashamed of that early on in my career. I tried to hide the fact that I hadn't gone to school, you know, and that I tried to like make it sound almost like I had because I I had some real shame associated with the fact that I hadn't go to school. There's just like there's like this this overarching theme in society that like, this is the only way that you're going to be successful is if you go to college. Like I, I really felt that. And it's funny now it's one of the things I'm most proud of. So I was in this community college class. I was there for a week. I was in the second week of classes, maybe my third time I'm in this philosophy classes, you know, nothing wrong with philosophy, but I'm just like, this is so pointless. I'm, this is not going to do anything for what I want to do running a business in the future. This is so dumb. And I mean, it was like one of those three hour classes and it's about 10 minutes into the class. And I just packed my shit up, man. And I walked out <laughs> and uh, I did. And I, I, I'll never forget this. I, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to have a conversation with my mom. And my mom had been an educator for 30 years. So I was kind of scared of having this conversation with her. You know, I know how she felt about education. I mean, she, has two, she has two master's degrees. She's yeah, you know, I, I was very nervous about this conversation. So I sat down with my mom and I'm like, mom, I've been really thinking hard about this. And I think I want to make a decision to not continue going to school and to start to train to move into a career role with Cupcake. Mm-hmm. My mom kind of sat there and she was never one to react when you tell her any news. So she kind of just listened. And uh, she asked me, well, Brian, why? do why did you go to school i'm like i mean because i felt like it was what i was supposed to do and i felt like i i needed to get that you know that piece of paper so that i could be successful and make 
a lot of money one day. I mean, it's funny when you don't grow up with a lot. I think a lot of people that come from a background like mine, like really have a desire to, to create an exciting financial future for themselves. Mm-hmm. My mom has always kind of been the parent. It's like, you know what? You make your own choices and you make your own mistakes and you'll learn from them. And right. she's never been the overprotective parent. So she kind of just let me, uh, she was, she was supportive. She was like, go for it. I know it's funny. We've had conversations about this after the fact. I know that she was really, really nervous after I'm like, mom, like you were supportive, but really what were you thinking? She was like, Brian, I was scared shitless. You were, you were a kid. You were 18 years old and you were telling me that you wanted to go run a business and move into a career position and I'm running your own office. I'm like, what are you too scared? I was going to fail, you know, but she gave me the, the space to make that decision for myself, which I know I'm sure as a parent is a very a hard thing to do. So I really appreciate that. She did that. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty, pretty cool. So that was transformational. That was a, yeah. that was a transformational experience. And I went DM. I started out of the gates really strong. I, had a $400,000 new business summer. My first summer as the DM, I hit P banquet my first fall. I was 19, you know, and I remember, uh, I had a lot of ups and downs. That was enough. And then like I had an, a summer that the, the summer after that, that I had like no growth at all. So I kind of was flat and then I dipped, right. And I, I tanked and I had a, a horrible campaign and broke up with a long-term girlfriend and was just in a horrible place, dude. And, then I had another up. I kind of got my shit back together and recommitted. And I had a really good year in 2012. I won a silver cup, you know, and then in December 26th of 2013, for those of the people that listen to the podcast that know the Cutco model, we, we run a big training seminar right after Christmas. And so I'm running a, a my, what is normally the biggest seminar I run all year. We, you know, so I'm running this training seminar. I get a knock on the door. My assistant manager's like, Brian, I need to talk to you. I'm like, I'm in the middle of training. Let me get back to you. He's like, no, you need to come now. So he calls me out of training and outside of my door of my office, there are two police officers and they're serving me an eviction notice. And they told me that, uh, I hadn't paid my rent and that I had seven days to move all my shit out and that they were, uh, Anything that would be left in the office would be the property of the landlord. And I had to move all of my shit out of my office into its storage unit because I didn't have the money to go find a new office and put down a deposit on an office. And I didn't have the, I couldn't do that. And so I got evicted. I had to move all my shit out of my office and I didn't have an office from the, uh, like, you know, the first week of January of 2014 until April 16th is when I signed a lease for a new wow. space. There's never been a time I've thought more seriously about quitting probably than, than that. And, you know, it was really, it was really tough. Wow. So you had, you were a, a champion manager in 2012, but then you went through kind of another dip in 2013. You were struggling. Uh, I think when people produce at a high result, typically their lifestyle goes up, their expenses go up, and maybe you were living at that level in 2013 while producing a lot less, and it set you in this downward spiral financially that ended with you literally being evicted from your office at the end of the year. That is crazy. And you went through... Living above my means, dude. I was living so far above my means. And you went through four months of not even having an office space 
I mean, I can't even imagine how you pulled through that. But then you got an office in April and you got geared up for the summer. And tell us about how that year turned out. Oh, man. It's crazy to even talk about it today. You know, I had two kids from the summer of 2013 that I had a really good relationship with. And I basically didn't talk to these kids for a couple months at all. And then, you know, I go to the company trip and I have a really pivotal conversation with Scott Dennis, who's now my, my RN. And, you know, he just really challenged me about what I wanted for my life, what I wanted for my, my future family and who I need to become in order to achieve those things. And it was one of the most pivotal, powerful conversations that I've ever had in my life. I tell Scott this frequently, and but he'll never know how life-changing that conversation was. And I got back from the trip. I called these two dudes. And I'm like, hey, we talked about being an assistant manager. I need two guys to go to battle with me. Do you want to be one of them? And they're both like, yeah, I'm in. So I just, I went headfirst into the PR program. That summer, we did 600 grand maybe 650 and new. We did like 700 grand in total business. We recruited 200 people. And at the end of that summer, we had like 20 people in our development pool. Mm. We had 20 managers, 20, I think the number was like 20, 20 something that had met with Larry Manley during his DBM tour, which is a pretty Damn big development class. Yeah, that's awesome. And that led to the recruits that ended up being assistant managers when Joseph Koss was recruited, when Amir Habash was recruited, when Chris Perlman was going out as a DM. And it was funny, those people really led uh, that those two guys, the recruits we got that summer, they ended up turning into the AMs that recruited people that are now playing you know, massive roles in the company. It's funny. I had one training seminar in 2015. I had a training seminar that Amir Habash started in. Same seminar that Joseph Koss started in. Amir is going to finish over a million dollars this year as a district manager. Joseph is the number two DM, uh, new DM in the company right now. And a kid named Kai Daniels was in that same, uh, the training seminar just after that. Leia Newman, who was a branch manager, was in that seminar. I literally had five branches or DMs in the one seminar. It was crazy, man. We just started, you know, it was, and it was because of I made a decision on who I was going to be and, and like the way I was going to lead people, you know, and I was going to lead by example. I was going to be a boss and not a buddy. You know, I was going to have a, a line that I drew with, you know, the relationship that I had with my people. And I was really going to lead them, you know, not as a buddy, not as a peer, but as truly as a leader. Someone they could look up to and want to emulate. And uh, I changed a lot of things about the way I interacted with top producers and the mystique I decided I needed to have in order to develop people. And the, like some of that is a close relationship, but some of that is also having some distance, you know, and I... I blurred those lines. I went out as a 19 year old. Everyone was my age, you know, and I just, I was just buddies with everyone. And right. we sold a lot, you know, but we didn't develop a lot of people. And I think it was because, you know, people ultimately ask themselves, not only do I want this person's job, do I want to make as much money as this person, but they ask themselves, do I want this person's life? And, right. you know, I think the answer to that for a long time was no. 
until I started making some changes about the way that I lived my life and uh, who I wanted to become and uh, who I wanted to be. So, yeah, we, we developed so many young people, Brian. And I think that, you know, if you're a young manager coming up in Vector, what Brian just shared is really instructive to understand how you are leading your people. I've asked some of my people from time to time, like, do you want to lead people to their goals or do you want to lead people to the party? Right? Because being a buddy and leading people to the party is fun, but it's a very short term way of approaching relationships and approaching the business. And ultimately, people will see beyond that and realize like, oh, this person is not leading me to my goals. This person is not somebody who I want to follow. Right. And that, that hinders somebody's long-term development, but you found that balance, you know, in, in 2014, 2015, right. To transition to being a real leader. And, yep. and I think that that's, really how people view you now is like you are viewed as one of the most inspirational and dynamic leaders in Vector. I'd love to get into what you feel are some of the other qualities or attributes that you bring to the table as a leader in the company. What do you think some of those things are? I think first is that I have a lot of fun doing what I'm doing, man, you know, and I'm really passionate about what we do. And, and, I think the key to life is finding the apex of what you're good at and what you enjoy. And I really, really enjoy what I do. And so uh, anything I do, I do it with energy. Anything I do, I do it with, with passion, you know, and that's how I live every area of my life. All ships rise with the tide. And so I think energy and enthusiasm and passion is important. I would say that grit is one of those things that is just irreplaceable. I'm privileged enough to have grown up and almost to a point in which that was just, it was required, you mm-hmm. know, and that has stuck with me. I feel like I have a lot of grit, energy, enthusiasm. I think about gratitude, man. I'm really, I have a, I have the, uh, because I think because of my background and my upbringing, you know, I have an ability to really have perspective and a lot of gratitude and appreciation for the gifts that are in my life, the people that are in my life, the gifts that I've been given. The opportunities that I've, I've been presented with, you know, Larry always told me when I was coming up in the business, what you appreciate appreciates. Mm-hmm. And he always instilled in me, you know, this, this attitude of gratitude and it stuck with me. And it's one of those, I, it's one of the things that I, is, is so important to me. Anything I do, I, I, I do it to achieve excellence. You know, I believe in anything I do, I'm going to, I'm going to kick ass doing it. I'm taking on something. I, I want to be a top performer. I believe in excellence in every area of my life. And uh, I would say that as a leader, you have to be someone that people look at and they know that you truly have their best interests at heart. You know, I am, I'm at a stage in my career now where any conversation I have, you know, I can completely remove how that's that conversation is going to impact me uh, entirely from the conversation. You know, I have an ability to Mm. completely act selflessly because, you know, I know that the outcome of that conversation isn't going to impact my life and isn't going to impact my income and and my career, my, my family's well-being. It's not going to impact my well-being. And so I can really have conversations with people that 
I, I, tr I truly have their best interest at heart. And I think that any person that knows and works with me feels that. They know that I'm not going to have a conversation with them that is going to uh, be impacted by how that impacts me. And I think that being a selfless leader is one of the most important things that you can do for people. And I'm just, I'm really, I would say that's one of the things that, especially as a division manager, that I've just, I've been, I've been really blessed to have great people and be able to operate from a place of abundance and not, not scarcity and, and be able to really bring to people uh, my best self. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, their best interests at all times. That, that was really powerful right there. Just the idea of removing from a conversation, how the outcome of that conversation will impact you personally, and instead focusing on what is in the best interest of this individual that I'm working with right now. All right. So what I would really want to ask you, Brian, is how does someone develop more passion and energy? If you're working with uh, some young people in your organization, how are you teaching them or helping them to develop that? Great. Yeah. I mean, and you know, what's cool is I think these are, I think some of these things are uh, all these things are things that you can do with people, regardless of the age group that you're that you're working with and leading and managing. And the first I would say is helping people figure out what their values are. One of the most impactful workshops that we walk our leadership academy through is a values exercise where we I got this from my buddy Jeff Gamboa, where we we give them a list of I think there's 386 different words front and back on this sheet and. Their job is to get that down to five or six that they really think encompass their values as a person. You know, my values are, are faith, gratitude, energy, excellence, integrity, and loyalty. And, you know, when you know what your values are, it's really easy to set your priorities. And that allows you to manage your time in, in, in a way that is congruent with those priorities and with those values. The other thing I think that uh, I help people get clear on is getting as as clear detailed of, of what they want uh, short term and what they want long term, and really helping people use what whether you're uh, you know recruiting and managing training people to sell Cutco or whether it's software or insurance or financial services or anything, helping people get really clear on what they want short term and what they want long term. And reverse engineering it, right? I think about okay, what do I want when I'm, what do I want when I'm fifty and sixty and seventy years old? What do I want when I'm sixty? Okay, well, I need to reverse engineer that, and, and what does that mean where I need to be when I'm forty? What does that mean to mean to where where I need to be when I'm thirty, when I'm twenty? And and helping people reverse engineer what they need to do short term in order to achieve what they want long term. You know, it's about micro speed and macro patience. Gary Vee talks about this all the time, micro speed and macro patience, understanding that you have time and that those skills are not developed overnight and that success doesn't happen overnight. And you have to be patient and know and have faith in the fact that things are going to work out, but you have to be doing the things urgently, daily, micro speed in order to get those things to happen long term. When I think about uh, helping people develop more more passion and more energy, I, I, I think about really tapping them into what they're appreciative of and what they're grateful for. And then I, I help people identify what are you good at. Identify what are your strengths. Like 
I am very clear what my strengths are. I'm very clear on what my weaknesses are. And when you're clear on both those things, one, you can play to your own strengths, right? And two, you can put people around you who can help you impact, uh, bring up your weaknesses. I'm really good at surrounding myself with people whose strengths are my weaknesses. I am very aware, self-aware of what my weaknesses are, what my strengths are. I play to my strengths. I help. I put people around me that are going to help fill my weaknesses. And I feel like when you know what you're good at and when you can play to your strengths, you like what you're doing more. You enjoy what you're doing more. Mm. And you're going to do it with more passion and with more energy. You need to be cert- proficient in, in certain things. So I'm not saying, you know, don't, don't focus on your weaknesses at all. I'm saying make sure that you're that you don't have holes in your boat, but you got to focus on your strengths. And uh, so I'm, I'm I'm really I'm very intentional about helping people identify what those things are uh, for themselves. That was very powerful, right there. What you shared about you know when you're focused on playing to your strengths, you enjoy what you're doing a whole lot more. And I really do think it's important for us to find the ways of of making what we're doing fun, making what we're doing enjoyable. Um, because that's what gives you that energy on a daily basis to, you know, to go to work and, and to, uh, you know, keep following through on what you're doing. You, you also talked about the values exercise. And this is a great exercise, right? So you take this big long list with all these words and you just sort of check off every word that resonates with you in some manner. And you end up with a whole bunch of them, but then you narrow down that whole bunch down to a few. And then you try to narrow it down even more down to like five or six roughly, which are your key core values. And that then if you spend time doing things that are congruent with your priorities and your values, and you make a clear list of goals of what you really want, that's where it's easier to bring passion and energy to the things you're doing, right? I mean, we all have passion and energy about the things that we love and the things that we know we most want in our life. And uh, if you can be focused on those things with the vast majority of your time and your schedule, it becomes a lot easier to bring that passion and energy to what you're doing. And understanding your strengths is a big part of that. So there was a lot of good stuff in there that I think people can chew on about you know, yeah. how to be able to bring more passion and energy to their day-to-day work. The other thing I think about, Dan, is celebrating wins. You know, you get what you search for in life. One of the things I'm really good at is finding wins, celebrating wins. I don't give a shit if they're small or if they're big. Sometimes you need them to be small. You need to find the small wins. And here's why. Humans are addicted to progress. And when you can find those wins and you see yourself progressing, it makes you so much more committed to the activities in, uh, that move you forward, even if they're activities that suck, right? For me, as an example, it's working out, right? Especially cardio. And I'm on a, on a mission the next two years to like where fitness and my health is, is at the utmost importance. Right. And sometimes it really, really sucks, but you know, what's cool is progress. When I see progress, it keeps me addicted to Mm -hmm. the things I'm doing that are moving me forward. So finding wins, celebrating wins. I think that's another big thing too. Yeah. And the opposite of that concept that humans are addicted to progress is that we can become apathetic when there's not progress. And when you're not, you know, achieving goals when you're not accomplishing some things that you want to set out, even small little wins, uh, it's easier to become more apathetic and to get caught in a downward spiral. And if any of you find yourself who are listening 
find yourself in that sort of downward spiral, I think is really important to set and achieve small goals. And what Brian said about celebrating wins is a critical part of that, you know, getting yourself out of that downward spiral. Setting and achieving small goals is a huge way to move yourself towards much bigger accomplishments in your life. So that, uh, right. I think humans are so critical. You know, we're, and we're so critical, especially of our own self. It's so funny when I do this with people, sometimes how hard it is for people to find their own strengths. Mm-hmm. When I'm doing a, a call with someone, I'm doing a, I, I do a call every, you know, one or two weeks with a lot of my, my candidates. And I'll say, Hey, what were some wins? That's always what I start with. Hey, what are some wins? Tell, tell me about some wins. Tell me about some challenges. You know what? Everyone always wants to go for first challenges. challenges. It's so much easier for us as humans to find the challenges and the hardships and the things that suck. You know, and so I'm, I really want to help my people, you know, anyone I work with and, and train and impact that focus on those wins first. It's easy to find the shit you suck at. It's easy to find the things that need improvement sometimes. And it's really, it's way more important to find the things that, that you're winning. In. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What message do you think Brian Herlman would most want to share with the audience of this podcast? Man, I would say that, uh, Life really does begin at the end of your comfort zone. When I made a decision to take over as a division manager, you know, I knew that life was about to change really drastically. I mean, I was walking away from a business that was producing $2.7 million in annual revenue. I was walking away from, you know, uh, hundreds and thousands of dollars in earnings. And, and these, and I had it wired, dude. I mean, it was wired. And to walk away from that and know that I was going to build something again from scratch Mm -hmm. was a massive risk. And, you know, in life, you can't let the fear of what could happen keep you from, you know, boldly stepping into the fucking unknown, man. And I'm a big believer that, you know, listen, you're going to have either the pain of regret or the pain that is the scars and the bruises and the cuts from failure. And, you know, at least those things are cool to show off and to tell people about. At least they make for cool stories. I would much, I mean, listen, it's uh, failure to me isn't doing something, sucking at it, figuring out what you sucked at and getting better. You know, failure is stepping up and being so scared that you don't even swing the bat, you know? I would much rather strike out than, than, than go down without even swinging at the ball, you know? And I think so many times people's fear, you know, their fear of judgment, right? What do other people think about me? Their fear of failure, which a lot of times is rooted in judgment. What are people going to think about me if I fail? Their fear of failure, the fear of judgment keeps them from doing things, trying things that that have some risk associated with them. And so I would say take risks. I would say that, uh, that for me, one of the biggest things I, I, I've learned in my 10 years of doing this is that, you know, in life, you are going to have peaks and valleys. Okay. It's just, it's going to happen. The key to life, shortening the distance between peaks and the depth of the valleys. Mm. That's what life is really about. Shortening the distance between peaks and the depth of the valleys. We're going to have valleys. We're going to have peaks. How close together can those peaks be and how shallow can those valleys be? And it's really about 
who, what you're doing and who you're becoming is what will, you know, decrease the depth of those valleys and the distance between those peaks. Yeah. There's there's no doubt that your level of personal growth is one of those keys to, uh, you know, shortening the depths, lessening the depths of those valleys for sure, because we're all going to have times where we struggle or fail at something. And the successful people who are constantly learning and striving are the ones that sort of turn that trajectory quicker versus allowing themselves to go deeper. And that, you know, by definition, creates the opportunity to bring the peaks closer together, right? Yeah. And so that that process of ongoing growth, ongoing learning, striving for uh, achieving goals and being around the right people that can help you, like these are all the things that you guys have probably heard many times throughout this podcast that are so valuable and so important to be doing, you know, is forcing ourselves into that space that place where uh, it's difficult to continue on a downward spiral. It's it's much more difficult to fail long term when you're constantly learning, growing, and being around you know people that are ambitious yeah. and motivated. So that that whole element of success is one of the things I think has most helped me, and certainly has helped you too. Yeah, Larry always told me that the the business will only grow to the point of which you are capable of handling. You know, like the the business business growth will never exceed your personal growth. You know, and and by the way, if there's a point in time in which your business is really succeeding and you're not in serious growth mode, it's probably based on things that you the business growth is probably based on things that you were doing when you were in growth mode. And if you don't get back into growth mode quick, you probably have a valley on your way. Larry, Larry really instilled that in me. He goes, build a division within your district. You know, the business will never grow. The business will only grow to the point of which you're capable of handling. So if you want to grow a bigger business, you have to increase your own capacity first. Mm, that, that is such an awesome insight that I think everyone, regardless of whether you're in Cutco or out of Cutco, can take to heart, right? Is that your business will only grow to the point that you're capable of handling. And if you want to elevate the results all throughout your organization, it, it begins with elevating yourself. As a leader, elevating your skills, elevating your mindset, elevating your relationships, right? All of those things are what end up bearing the fruit later on uh, that you want in your business and in your life. So good, Brian. So as you look into your future, Brian, like five, 10 years down the road or more, uh, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? Well, I, I love that question. The first is what I think I'm, I'm, I've been called most to in this life, which is being a husband and a father. You know, I'm really excited about having a family. I have an amazing wife who was a, uh, a total ass kicker with Cutco uh, for many years. And she was a branch manager. And she actually, she, it's funny, she works for a startup that uh, was founded by one of our former branch managers, Thad Tarkington. There's a bunch of former Cutco badasses uh, who are leading their sales team over there. It'd be really cool to get to get fat on one of these podcasts. They're doing great things over at Second Nature. Anyway, I'm really excited about being a father. I'm really excited about having a family. Uh, that's what I'm most excited about over the next five to ten years. I'm I'm excited about uh, starting to kind of shatter uh, some glass ceilings of what people think is possible from the division sales revenue aspect you know i i want to be a a perennial 10 million dollar division manager you know i want to uh in my time with cutco i have a goal of uh training and developing 100 district managers 
1,000 branch managers and 10 DVMs in my time with Cutco. So, you know, I want to develop 10 division managers, 100 district managers, 1,000 branches. I have a goal in my life to positively impact and, and dramatically influence the lives of over 1 million young people. And uh, Cutco has been a great fit for that. I'm excited about developing district managers who go out there and just put to shame what I did as a DM. I'm excited about developing, you know, a team, a squad of million dollar shipping district managers who are just kicking ass and taking names. I, I mean, I want to, I want to have a DM team of five, six, seven million dollar shipping DMs where we are, uh, we are just, we are wrecking house. Um, at the district manager level. I'm really excited about uh, being more involved in my community and my church. Alexandra and I are going to get involved with uh, Life Team and, and the, the teenage group at our, at our local church. And I'm really excited about, uh, about giving. I've, uh, I've made a commitment recently that in 2020, I wanted to give away 15% of my income. I want to give 10% to my church and I'm going to give 5% uh, to, it's just going to be a, uh, Alexander and I are going to have a giving account. It's just going to be an account to that, that we save 5% of our income in and uh, go fund these or, you know, things that we're passionate about um, organizations we're passionate about giving to donating to. We, we have uh, the ability to do that. So I'm really excited about stepping up my, um, my giving and both through my church and through my community. And uh, man, I just want to, you know, I want to be one of the people that pioneers the growth of this organization, Cutco, to a eventually $500 million and eventually a billion-dollar organization. I've spent my entire adult life here. This, is, this really means something to me. And I want to help shift the brand name. You know, I want to help shift the brand through the experience that people have in my organization. And I really want to show people what it's like to be a, a, a dynamic business leader but even be a, a more dynamic father and husband and how you can, you can really do it all and have it all. That's awesome. I, I loved hearing you talk about the future of your division and you know having those six or seven district managers doing over a million dollars and having a $10 million organization and all the DMs and branches and things like that that you want to develop. If I were a person you know in the Virginia division right now, I would be pumped up to be a part of that vision and, and excited about what you know I was a part of building. And I think that's a great lesson for leaders everywhere is are you painting a vision for people? Are you telling stories about where you're going that your people are stoked to be a part of that they you can't wait to help make that happen that inspires and motivates people that is inspirational loved hearing you talk about influencing 1 million lives because that is really what this podcast is all about and it's really what the cutco vector organization is all about it, it is you know the the effect that we can have the compound effect that we can have by being great leaders and powerfully influencing our own circles and then what those the people in those circles can eventually influence and who they can influence and how our effect is compounded out. And it, it's just great to see you doing that. And, uh, and, and I'm excited for your future, uh, as a father someday. And when that comes to fruition and, and yeah. to be able to see you, uh, thrive in that role as well, Brian, it's going to be a it's fun cool, ride. Man. Yeah, it it's is. It's all about legacy, right? I mean, I think about when I'm gone, are they going to tell my story? And, I'm really, you know, I, I think about 
the way that people talk about Marty, you know, and I, I unfortunately never had the opportunity to meet Marty, but even with as someone who ha- didn't get a chance to meet Marty Dmitrovich, you know, I have felt his impact. I have felt his legacy. And, you know, I want people to tell my story when I'm gone. And the legacy that I have in my family and in my business, I want that to last for many, many years. So I'm doing everything I can to, uh, to impact that legacy while I'm here, man. And I really appreciate you, Dan. You know, I, uh, I, you're someone I've always looked up to. And being on this podcast has been, uh, has been really cool. It's been a real privilege. Yeah, well, you're a great leader in the company. You're really one of the, the, the uh, top superstars in the company now. And I know a lot of people are going to love hearing your story and love hearing your insights. So thanks very much for making the time for the podcast. No problem, Dan. Appreciate you, man. All right. Take care. Later, brother. Brian Hurlman, everyone. Uh, what a fun guy to talk to. Uh, what an awesome conversation that was. Hearing about Brian's humble beginnings and uh, loved his perspective that uh, they had wealth in other areas. Uh, I thought that was uh, instructive there right out of the gate. And and when Brian learned how to elevate his game as a leader, that's where he began to build a following. That's where he began to build an amazing organization. The concept he shared about uh, helping others and always having others' best interest in mind, removing from the conversation, right? Removing the thought of how the conversation will impact you and instead focusing on impacting the other person in the best, most constructive way. Uh, definitely love the area where Brian was talking about helping people figure out their values and their goals, and that that's what enables people to live with passion and energy uh, when they're living in congruence with their goals and uh, their passions. I thought that was very, very good. Uh, the, the idea of celebrating wins And Brian shared that humans are addicted to progress. Very important to be doing that in our lives to keep ourselves energetic and motivated. His advice to people was that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Are you willing to take risks? I think that's a fitting concept at the start of a new year as you think about what you want to accomplish in 2020, right? Is like, what are some of the risks that you need to take in order to step out of your comfort zone and be able to achieve the things that you want long-term in your life? Brian said, I believe in excellence in every area of my life. That was a powerful statement from a dynamic and amazing leader. And he shared at the end that he would like people to be able to tell his story when he's gone one day. And I think that that's a inspirational aspiration for someone to have is to leave a legacy. Jim Rohn talks a lot about the importance of leaving a legacy, the responsibility for people who are fortunate, as many of us are, to be able to leave a legacy in our lives. It was great being able to tell and share Brian Hurlman's story on the podcast today, uh, and I'm sure that his story will be shared uh, much farther and much wider in the future as he continues to achieve excellence in every area of his life. Thanks for listening, everyone. Happy New Year. Let's have an awesome 2020. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.